Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents. Welcome to the Sophisticated Property Investing podcast with me, your host, Frank Flake. In this episode, I am going to be talking about how you negotiate no money down and no money left in deals. Because increasingly when I sit down with people, they don't understand why I'm doing so many sophisticated deals and they're not doing any. And that seems to be the biggest frustration for people. They have the knowledge, they know how to structure deals, they have the time to negotiate and chain chase and refurb, but they don't have the leads. They don't have the motivated people to speak to. And so sometimes they have freed up time from their day job. Sometimes they've quit their day job. Sometimes they've held off going back into work after a sabbatical. As time goes by and they don't do any sophisticated deals, they become increasingly frustrated with the situation and themselves. They lose confidence and they do one of two things. They either give up on doing sophisticated deals and go back to employment or start a different business or they do rubbish deals. They think, well, traditional investing is better than no investing, so I'll do traditional investing. Which, to be fair, is probably true. It's probably true that you are better off doing traditional investing than no no property investing, but it's based on a false assumption that they're not able to do sophisticated deals. The reason, in most cases, In most cases, the reason that people are failing in this way is because they are forgetting the equation that I typically teach in the first two hours of meeting any client or running a a seminar for, for newbie investors. And that is vendor times property equals deal. And I've spoken about that before on the podcast, but I'm repeating it because It's just so critical. And it doesn't mean a lot. Three words on a bit of paper with a multiplication and an equal sign doesn't mean a lot. But actually what it stands for is massive. So the idea is people look for deals, but deals come after the equal sign. And you can never create the equal sign. You you can't go out and find a deal because it's after the equals. It's a bit like, let's use getting a gold medal at the Olympics as an example. You can't just say, I'm going to get a gold medal. You can't turn up at the Olympics and hope that you get handed a gold medal and end up on a podium. That's the result. That's after the equal sign. On the left-hand side of the equal sign for a gold medal at the Olympics, there's probably a little bit of genetics times a lot of years of very hard work, times quality coaching, times quality nutrition, times maybe a little bit of luck. Those are the the four things that are required there. And some of those you can really influence a lot. Some of those you're lucky to have and you either have them or don't. For example, you know, I'm not sure I'm tall enough to have been a gold medalist high jumper. It doesn't really matter how hard I worked or how hard I, uh, or how well I ate or how good my uh, coach was. I was probably never going to get a gold medal at the Olympics in, in high jump. 
I did do high jump at school, funnily enough, and I was short then. <laughs> but you get the point. The point is you have to work bef before the equals sign. And it's the same in sophisticated property investing. You can't focus on getting deals. You have to focus on the first two elements. And the first one you focus on is the vendor. That comes first. So when you're looking for deals, you have to reframe that and look for vendors. There are so many vendors around at the moment. So, so many. It's unbelievable. Every time you hear someone talk about mortgages going up, the Bank of England base rate hitting 6%, 7% over the next year. The fact that the UK is behind the European Union on getting inflation under control. The cost of living crisis. All of that. Admission to private schools. Lowest year on record, I believe. Really, and they're probably not publicising that. They don't want that publicised. But it's true. Local school, to me, um, usually have 15 to... 20 entry into their year six last year they had 14 so they were right on like right on the cusp of the lower level and this year they have five that's huge that's 66 percent discount you have to focus these vendors are all around but you have to focus on finding a motivated seller a motivated vendor there's no way of cheating that Jim Rohn talks about the law of nature or natural law. You can't reap the harvest until you've sown the seed, you've picked the weeds around the fledgling plants, you've watered them, you've nourished them, and they've had a season of sunshine. It's after the equal sign that you reap. And it's exactly the same. So on the left-hand side of the equation, before the equal sign, it's finding motivated vendors. And I did a, uh, an episode recently about partnering with letting agents, partnering with estate agents. I was coaching some of my guys this week. We were talking about, well, what if you don't have a strong relationship with an agent already? And I said, well, at the moment, agents are on their knees. The number of transactions are so low, average price of a house has dropped. Go to an agent and offer to write or offer for them to write to all of their landlords offering for you to buy and pay them for it. Pay them a pound a letter. And we had then had a discussion about, well, hang on, what if they've got a thousand landlords on their database? My response was, well, yeah, it'll cost you a thousand pounds. A sophisticated deal costs about four thousand pounds to a to obtain in marketing and so now it's just a simple calculation if the letting agency emails a thousand of their database for a thousand pounds and you get a deal from that then you're achieving that deal at 25 percent of what it would normally cost you through other marketing means and so it's just about thinking outside the box but here's the thing it's about taking action you have to take some action in order to get in contact with motivated vendors. If you take no action, perhaps in your lifetime, you will come across one, maybe if you're really fortunate, two sophisticated deals. But equally, there's a good chance you'll never come across one because they don't often fall out of the sky. And when you do take action, you're going to produce a set steady stream of motivated vendors. And I've talked previously on the 
podcast about what you do with those vendors, what you say to them, etc. So that's not a hard bit, but you can't skip that step. You have to back yourself. You have to do the marketing. Without the marketing, it's impossible. We've talked previously about the four pillars on, on the podcast and I'll perhaps do an episode on that shortly so that you can be reminded of the actions that need to be taken to do this. But the absolute key here is you have to invest. It's not a waste of money to do marketing. It's an investment of money that you will get a return on if you're smart about your marketing, if you're consistent with your marketing. It's a natural law that if you do good marketing, you will get a response you'll get quality leads. Not necessarily off the first marketing strategy, not necessarily off the second, but if you have a plan and you consistently invest time and money into your marketing, you will have vendors respond to that marketing. It is not difficult. And that's the first part of the equation. That's the first part on the left-hand side. Now, it's not just that. It's not just investing time and investing money. And perhaps you need to invest in your education because you don't know what marketing to do and that's fine. No problem, get in touch with us. We'll be able to help you with that. But it's then having the knowledge and skills to communicate with those people. So it's the sales skills to be able to communicate effectively and come up with a win-win solution and explain that win-win solution to them, etc. And then, only then, once you've had a quality conversation and you understand a bit about their, their motivations, then do you start looking at the property. So it's vendor times property. So vendor first, then property equals the deal. So you look at the property and you look at how you're going to take control of the property. And I'm deliberately using that phraseology because on a control now, pay later, we're doing many of those at the moment, mainly because finance is expensive, term finance is expensive and hard to obtain. Although we've got a mortgage product at the moment where they're doing a portfolio product for us on a few of our properties and they're doing a desktop valuation and a, for, for bricks and mortar valuation and a desktop valuation for rental. So they're not even coming out to the property. So they're doing desktop valuations on the bricks and mortar value and desktop valuations on the rental and they are willing to lend on that basis at 75% loan to value. Unbelievable. I didn't think that product would be available right now, especially in the current market. It's competitive. It's at a competitive interest rate in the current market. But most people are saying that mortgages are hard to get. Well, that's not. Our broker's done a few of these already. We haven't yet. He's saying five to six weeks from application to funds in the account. That's quick. That's impressive. And so you have to be good enough at speaking to vendors. You have to have enough knowledge. You have to have enough skill in order to then move on to the next bit, which is looking at the property. How are you going to control it? Are you going to do control now, pay later? Are you going to do a BMV purchase? Are you going to flip it? It depends on your business strategy. And then what are you going to do with the property once you've acquired it? How are you going to monetize it? Are you going to develop it? Are you going to let it as a single AST? Are you going to run service accommodation through it? Are you going to lease it to a company or a charity? Are you going to develop it? Are you going to extend it? Are you going to get planning on it and then sell it? There are so many different ways of monetizing a property. In fact, there are 25,000 different ways of doing a deal. I've actually added them up. <laughs> 
But that bit, the bit where you look at the property, that comes second. And you can see the issue that most people have. Most people start on right move because it's the easy place to find the properties. Now, if you're not worried about sophisticated deals, if you're just wanting to buy retail, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. But here's the thing. You're going to have to do the work somewhere. You can either do the work when marketing and only have high quality leads come to you and it'd be much easier to negotiate and find a win-win that's no money down or no money left in. Or you don't bother doing the marketing for vendors and you take the easy option, which is right move in an estate agent's window where everyone else is competing with you. And then you have to, and it's the same with auction, you know, if you go to a thousand auctions and you view 10 properties in every auction, within that 10,000 properties, there's probably going to be an amazing deal. But that's a lot of work. But it's not a lot of work in negotiating with vendors. It's not a lot of money that you've wasted or, or invested rather in marketing, but it's hard at the property level so you either put the hard work in on the vendor level or you put the hard work in on the property level and if you're looking on right move the number of properties you're going to have to look at before you hit upon a vendor through chance that is motivated and yes you can look at how long the property's been on the market yes you can look at the asking price history of the property but it's still a lot of work because you're competing with thousands of other people trying to do the same thing. It's a bit like wanting to play football for England or choosing to play for England and then saying, what sport would I like to play for England? There was a guy in America, actually, who really, really, uh, this was in, I don't know what book this was in. I, I, it's escaped me. Might have been a Seth Godin book. Not sure. And... He just decided he wanted to compete in the Olympics. So he looked at every single sport and was basically looking for the easiest sport to go from zero to Olympic level in the shortest amount of time. He picked the, I want to say it's the luge. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. Basically, the single man who sits on a disc and goes down the chute at the Winter Olympics because he looked at what he was really good at and what he was really good at was not giving up. And generally, luge people break loads of bones. And he was like, yeah, I can break some bones and then get back up and heal and carry on. So he was like, yeah, this plays to my strengths. And then he contacted the Olympics and said, look, I'm, I'm interested in doing the luge. How do I compete? And they were like, well, you can't because we've already got an American team. And he said, yeah, but I'm half Argentinian. And then all of a sudden they rolled out the red carpet because they needed more countries to compete that event was in danger of being cancelled but if they had another country compete then it made the event more important and less likely to be cancelled and so all of a sudden Argentina had a luge competitor and he got he got to train with the American team because they really wanted Argentina in the uh, in the luge etc etc the point is he didn't care what Olympic sport he went to the Olympics in he wanted to be an Olympic athlete. And I approach my sophisticated deals like that. I don't care what I buy. I'm buying all over the country at the moment. So long as they they tick off my criteria, my buying criteria, and you have to have a buying criteria, and I've talked about this lots previously on the podcast. My buying criteria are it's cash flow positive and there's equity in it now. 
i.e. I'm buying at a discount or there's equity in the future. So long as I, I tick off both. Oh, and of course, it either doesn't cost me any of my own money now or I get all of my own money out in a reasonable period of time. And I aim for 12 months, but I sometimes do 24, 36 months. It depends. And that's it. So I know if I can structure a deal that I get all of my money back out within 12 months, it's cash flow positive and it has a nice chunk of equity in it, I'm going to do it. And that could be a garage in Mayfair, London. It could be a castle in Scotland. In fact, I looked at a castle in Derbyshire. came up for sale and I was like, hmm, they're going to be motivated. I wonder how I could do that. It could be a hotel. It can be a farm. I've set one of my goals to buy a farm in the next 10 years. Really excited about that. Starting to do my research now. I've subscribed to Farmers Weekly so I can understand the difficulties that farmers are facing, the opportunities that exist in terms of funding, etc. Because I know if I sat down in front of a farmer today, I would not know the first thing about how to negotiate with them. I'm just going to gradually get better and better. And then when I'm ready and I feel like I'm knowledgeable enough, I'll start marketing and negotiating with farmers. And my goal is to have a couple hundred acres of farmland within the next 10 years and I know that with my business skills I'll be able to monetize that that land in the medium term and in the long term I'll likely be able to add a lot of value to it through development and planning game so the decision is are you going to invest in your marketing which is much easier or are you going to try and find the needle in a haystack which is a sophisticated deal on the open market and they do exist but they are so hard to find the statistic that sometimes throws people is that five percent of the deals that we do are on the open market but that doesn't mean we find them on the open market they come to us almost always through other means, referral or through our direct vendor marketing. And it just so happens they're on the open market. So it's not, you know, if you do 20 times as much marketing as we do, you're going to get the same number of deals as us because I think it's one in a thousand. I think it's one in a thousand properties on the open market are probably more motivated than the agent realizes and are open to a sophisticated deal. How would you identify them you can't identify it by the property because it can be the garage or the hotel or the castle or the two up two down you have to speak to the vendor in in order to know well how do you speak to the vendor well you'd have to speak to a thousand vendors but most vendors don't want to talk to you because they've already paid an estate agent so they want the expert to talk to you but the agent often doesn't know in fact the agent almost always doesn't know how motivated their client is. And the reason for that is no disrespect to agents. They can't possibly know because they've got so many of these properties on their books. In fact, I've done some training with agents, helping them to identify motivated vendors on their books. And this is why partnering with an agent and writing to their clients is a good idea because the agent doesn't know, but the vendor knows. And if you write a well-drafted sales letter from the agent to their vendors, the vendors that will then identify themselves, they'll put their hand up. And once you are talking to a vendor, it becomes easy. Now, the difficulty is, and I see this a lot, are you willing to do what needs to be done to be successful and get these deals? Or are you playing at it? I met a guy a few months ago now who had started a new business. It was doing up cars and I'm genuinely interested in in business. 
And I said, oh, great, fantastic. And he said, yeah, I'm just selling my first one now. And as I asked more and more questions, I think there's a little bit of pride because, you know, he knew I was an entrepreneur and he was an entrepreneur. But I asked enough questions that gradually the truth like revealed itself. And initially he had a car business where he bought cars, did them up and sold them. And I was excited about it. So I asked more questions. And after like 10, 15 minutes of questions, it turned out that he'd been doing this business for about nine or so months, I'm approximating, and had actually not yet sold a car. And every time he went to sell the car, he found something else to do on it. And so then he did a bit more work and he was clearly a perfectionist and he was learning lots about how to fix these cars at the same time. So he spent a lot of time on YouTube. But earlier on in the conversation, I'd asked him about, you know, how many do you want to do? And he said, oh, I want to do two a month. I think I can do about 24 in the year. And I was like, wow, and how much would you make? And he explained he'd make maybe two grand on each one. So 24, what's that? 48 grand, maybe 50 grand in a year. And I thought, you know what, that's quite a good job. He said, I can do this whilst I'm a stay-at-home dad. I can drop the kids off at school. I can work during the day. And it, and it looked really, really positive until we dug a bit deeper and he hadn't been doing one a fortnight. He'd done one in nine months and he still hadn't sold it. He was a nice enough guy. I don't you know, want to speak badly of him, but I think when you look at that objectively, He's not doing what needs to be done. And, and, I, and I tell this story because I don't want you to leave this podcast, finish listening to this episode. I don't want you to leave the podcast. Definitely come back next episode next week. <laughs> but I don't want you to finish this episode and think, well, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. I work 20 hours a week on my sophisticated property investing. And by the way, you don't have to work loads of hours, 10, 15, 20 hours a week. It is not a requirement to do tons and tons. It's not the volume, it's the quality. But if you looked at that guy and I, I could, he, it wasn't a coaching situation. It was a casual conversation that, you know, just turned to business. I met him in a social setting. If you look at that situation, if I'd coached him for an hour, it would have been blatantly obvious that he had to do more, more action, more focused action, and not kid himself that he was doing what needed to be done. He needed to get that car marketed. He needed to sell it way earlier. He needed to buy his next car. He needed to start working on it. He needed a default diary. He needed a schedule of works for every car. He needed some systems. He needed to put them on the market after two weeks, regardless of how perfect it was. And he needed to be averaging two grand profit on each car. And if he wasn't going to do two grand profit on each car, he needed to amend his business plan or he needed to buy better or he needed to sell better or he needed to work quicker or he needed to employ someone or whatever it was. But it wasn't working. And I haven't spoken to him since. Maybe he's made loads of amendments and it's absolutely flying now. But my inclination is that nothing will have changed. So maybe he sold in the last six months one or two cars. And that's the problem. It's very easy to make yourself feel better by creating busyness, by creating work for yourself. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you're spinning wheels. You know that you're not doing the hard yards. You're not doing the the work that needs to be done. And to be fair, it's the work that no one else is willing to do. It's easy to find vendors at the moment. It's hard to finance deals. 
And so some people will be putting up their boots. They'll be going, do you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until it's easier to get mortgages. But when it's easier to get mortgages, vendors will be able to refinance. And so they won't be as motivated to sell. So finding vendors will be harder. And then those same people go, well, do you know what? I'm going to wait until, you know, there's more motivated vendors when house prices aren't going up so quickly. Because house prices are stagnant and actually dropping now. That means that the equity in the housing stock across the UK is dropping. Mortgages are really hard to get. So vendors can't sell as easily and they can't refinance as easily. So they're more motivated. They're more likely to need our help. But as soon as mortgages become more available and available at lower interest rates, people will be able to buy more easily and people will be able to refinance more easily so they won't be desperate to sell. So there's no perfect time to do sophisticated deals. There's just always a fantastic time for very, very different reasons. But that also means that there's always an excuse why now is not a great time. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable right now to go spend a few thousand pounds on marketing for a motivated vendor. It's uncomfortable to do that without knowing you're going to get a lead. It takes courage, but so does everything that's worth getting. It doesn't take courage to throw your hands up in the air and start collecting job seekers allowance. But I wouldn't say it's the easy option. That's the chronically painful option. Or you can do the acutely painful option, which is taking some action now, putting yourself out there, risking a bit of money, risking a bit of time, risking people saying no to you and start doing the deals. It's 100% in your hands. And the you in 10 years time will look back and will be proud about the action you've taken and the deals you've done. If you only do two deals a year, that's 20 properties in your portfolio in 10 years time. The early ones will have most likely doubled in value. The later ones will have gone up in value, but not by as much. Rents will have gone up massively. We're still at around double digits inflation. I think 8.6% in uh, in July, uh, in June. 8.6% inflation in June, I think. That's unbelievable. We've been at around double digits inflation for over two years now, two and a bit years. That is amazing for rents. Rents are still going up. That means profitability is going through the roof on buy to lets. In fact, one of my clients was looking at their portfolio. I think they have about 15 properties. And they said, yeah, mortgages have gone up loads. But actually, my rents have gone up loads. And I'm about in the same level of profitability, which is hilarious because people are not going into buy to let because they're worried about mortgage rates, but they're not looking at the fact that rents have gone up so quickly. So that's it, guys. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Do you want to be looking back thinking, oh, I wish I'd taken action. I wish I'd planted that tree that would now be a mighty oak. Or are you going to look back and go, I took action. It was painful. I had to put myself out there. It was risky, but I was courageous. And now I've got a legacy for my self and my family. My kids are now set up for life. Those investments that I took, they paid for my children to go through university. They're paying for a really good retirement for my partner and I. It really is life-changing, guys. And I hope in this episode, I have motivated you to take action. If you feel like we can help you in any way, don't hesitate to get in touch. And until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.